Good afternoon, patriots. You are listening to Living with Liberty, your source for common sense and truth. I am your host, Ryan. Today, I have a special guest joining me for a discussion on the environment and solutions to repairing it that don't require government intervention. Next, on Living with Liberty. As promised in my last episode, today's show has a special guest to discuss one option to help reverse the environmental degradation human activity has caused, and to do so in a way that doesn't require extra government regulation and spending. I hope you find it as insightful and informative as I have in researching the show and speaking with our special guest. All right, on with the show, as they say. All right, as promised, today I have our special guest, uh, BJ Gann. Some of you might know him as BJ Gann from Parlor. I believe he's some sheep on Gab. Uh, he's here to talk about regenerative agriculture. It's one of the uh, things I alluded to in my last show on things we can do that don't cost a ton of money yet will help the environment immensely. So welcome, BJ. Yes, Ryan. Thanks for having me on. Um, you know, a little bit about myself. I've uh, been involved in agriculture and food production pretty much my entire life. And uh, so when this whole regenerative agriculture concept came along, you know, I was pretty skeptical. You know, and I kept putting it off, putting it off, uh, basically just ignoring it. And then, uh, you know, we had some pretty severe droughts down here in 2011 and 12. And that showed us a lot of problems that we just basically denied that we had. But then we had to start dealing with it. And uh, that's when I started looking at, okay, we got to do things different. And uh, climate mitigation is a, is a huge thing. And, it, and it's a doable thing. Good. Yeah, so I I know when uh, when you actually reached out to me, I think I I uh, did a show. I think it was on on uh, civilization, uh, how our civilizations in decline, and you kind of reached out to me on um, this the topic of regenerative agriculture and how it uh, you know it it can really help us. So it got me intrigued, and I kind of dug into it, and here we are doing an interview. <laughs> yes, so yes, kind of the first question I have and. What's that? I said, yes, that's very true. <laughs> about, <laughs> about, about the link between culture and agriculture, you know, it's definitely can't have one without the other. So, yes. Right, right. Yeah, good. So, first question I have is, what is regenerative agriculture? Regenerative agriculture is basically just a set of principles that uh, – utilize land management a lot different than what what we're doing right now um, some of it's a lot of old principles that's being brought back but uh, the big difference between regenerative and conventional is that it re the regenerative method reduces the use of chemicals it reduces the use of mechanical tillage and in to replace those uh, tools and assets while well, we're going to use livestock to uh for land management 
uh, we're going to use diverse cover crops as part of the land management scheme. And instead of monocropping, like for a solid crop of wheat or beans or something like that, why we're going to be putting out there a lot of different things, a lot of diversity. And uh, the idea being is to get as much solar energy converted into sugars and pumped into the ground as possible. And that's where the, the carbon sequestration comes from. Um, with conventional agriculture, where you're tilling and all that kind of stuff, why the carbon that's in the ground is basically oxidized. So you stir up the dirt and uh, those carbon compounds that are that are in the soil uh, basically just oxidize and, you know, due to you know, harsh sunlight, uh, lack of water on there, they dry up and uh, they're gone. And so as those carbon compounds disappear out of the soil, while the soil is not able to hold as much water for reserve, um, it definitely doesn't uh, absorb temperature from the sun as well, it basically reflects it right back off. So that's a temperature increase. And uh, basically it increases our reliance upon uh, uh, chemical inputs such as fertilizers and pesticides. And those those fertilizers and pesticides, I think, are are things a lot of people are uh, a, a lot of people are trying to get away from, right? I know my my wife uh, tries to to get uh, organic stuff as much as as possible, and I, I know when we uh, when we spoke, uh, kind of laying this out, I think you are trying to get away from that as as much as possible as well. Yes, very much so. You know, it, it's kind of kind of an interesting point. Here we are trying to grow food, but in conventional agriculture, you know, you don't want to eat any of the fertilizer, and you certainly don't want to ingest any of the chemicals that we put in the ground. So why are we adding that into our food process or you know, our food production system? It's it's just a recipe for disaster, if you ask me. Yeah, absolutely. So you, you mentioned no tillage and and utilizing animals so it, it kind of in in that vein in regenerative agriculture uh, how does that play together because there's a lot of i think in in conventional you're tilling up the land and then you're you're using uh, mechanical means to to plant your crop whatever it may be corn beans whatever it may be how how does that differ uh utilizing a regenerative agriculture method well okay the in the conventional tillage, you know, uh, I guess the scientific reason for that is it gets r rid of uh, competing growth for your monocrop that you want to put in there, your cash crop. And then the, uh, it gives the seed a good place to germinate and what have you. And, uh, you know, it's worked for years, but uh, the real reason it worked was just because we had this uh carbon energy these carbon compounds are actually an energy source for the seed to germinate and take off with and everything now in the regenerative method why we say uh, okay we look at this field and say okay here we've had some resource concerns here we need we need more water infiltration for when it rains so we can carry through a drought uh, we could say we need a little more soil carbon and uh, we, we need some more nitrogen in there with it so we mix a, a cocktail mix of uh, different kinds of plants. We'll plant that out there and that will condition our soil for us, give us deeper root depth, uh, enable the, that same ground to maybe hold a few thousand gallons more water per acre. 
and uh, all that water will be uh, plant available for our cash crop. And so we'll grow this stuff out there. And then, so now it's time to plant. So now we've got to terminate this cash crop. So what we'll do is we'll turn a bunch of cows on it, sheep, chickens, whatever. And uh, they will trample down and eat as much of that as possible. And, can, and basically rapid composting is uh, what also happens in the animal's gut. So that gets put on the ground. And then we have to uh, plant the field with our cash crop, but we're going to use a different kind of system. A tractor will have a big roller in front to smash down the remainder of the uh, cover crop. And then it will be drilling the seed into the ground through that mulch on the ground. Okay. And so right away, uh, you know, we're, we've got a lot more water retention. Uh, the soil's covered, so we're not evaporating through bare soil, evaporating our water away. And our, our temperature, soil temperatures dropped dramatically. 20, 30, 40 degrees is even, you know, depending on where you're at, that's quite possible. Interesting. So, so when uh, they, you go to to plant, you basically have this cover crop. You you kind of let's call it turn turn the animals, turn the livestock loose on the field. In essence, creating a mulch on top of this field, and then when you go to plant, you're really just driving the seed down in through that mulch without call it using a planter that kind of. Uh, zips the earth open so to speak yes yes and it, it's very uh very gentle on the earth it basically just cuts a small slit drops the seed and then has a little oh some different machines do different things but basically there's some little packer wheels back behind there it kind of takes that little slice in the earth that's only about a quarter of an inch deep and just kind of rolls it back shut over the top of the seed and uh so out of a planter uh, when you run a planter over the ground, why the actual earth that's disturbed is probably less than 5% of the total acreage just because you're just planting in little bitty narrow strips instead of having to plow the entire field. And and then when you're the, you know, I think everybody has seen as they've drive, I live in a rural area, uh, you obviously do. I think everybody's seen, you know, especially when it's been dry and in planting season and, and even in harvest season for that matter, or, when the, the tractors are tilling the, the land, you've got dust just flying all over the place. I think with, with this method, am I right to assume that would be kind of greatly reduced then? Yes, that'd be greatly reduced. And, you know, and here, here's something for you to think about. Uh, you know, the, the earth, the thickness of a dime over an acre, that is 10 tons of soil that's liable to blow away just by running one or two processes over a field, such as plowing, such as planting, and such as harvesting. You're, you're right about that. And soil that blows away isn't doing anybody any good. Right, right. So what are some of the other benefits to regenerative agriculture? I think we, sounds like we've maybe covered one in kind of keeping the soil in place, right? We're not letting any more blow away. What are some of the other benefits? Well, let's just kind of go into an order of uh, like climate's going to be kind of the new narrative, I think, in the future. So uh, let's say that by doing the regenerative uh, cropping methods here, we're able to increase soil organic matter by about a half a percent a year and everything. 
And so that would be about 10,000 pounds of organic matter added to the soil every year. And 5,800 pounds of that is solid carbon. And that carbon stays in the ground and not in the atmosphere. And so a farm can go from being a major carbon contributor to the atmosphere to basically being coming a carbon sink. A farm will be the first thing to become truly carbon neutral in its operation in this manner. Uh, surprisingly, uh, things grown with this matter tend to have a lot more health benefits. Number one, there's no chemicals to be into the food supply. But secondly, the plants are a lot much more able to express themselves. Um, for example, how many uh, secondary metabolites can a plant make since it's uh, the soil's being deepened? It's a lot more, uh, the soil is able to give up nutrients and uh, minerals and stuff to the plant. The plant's able to, to build itself out of a lot more complex structures and everything. Now, the more complex that this plant can make, the more complexity it can build within itself, means more nutrition for us and gives the insects less than they can eat because insects have simple tummies and they can't eat complex plants. So that gets rid of that thing for the, for the bugs and so eliminates those needs for those pesticides. But for us, that gives us a lot more nutrition in, in every bite that we eat. Then not only that, some of those secondary metabolites that this plant's producing is environmental specific to that area. And so if you're eating locally, and let's say that you know, every part of the earth has got an issue that affects human health, but uh, since this plant grew up in the same environment that you're living in, why it was able to arm itself against the hazards of your local environment. And when you eat that food, those secondary metabolites that enable that plant to live better is also transferred to the person who's eating it. So that's just one of the health benefits. Uh, and, and it's huge. It's a huge benefit. Yeah, I've, I've... You mentioned the insects and and uh, keeping them from e eating the plants because they're they're much much uh, the plants are much more complex have much more nutrients and and the the pests can't uh, can't handle that so um, you know eliminates the need uh, for for pesticides. How about how about the herbicides? How do how does uh, regenerative agriculture uh, avoid the use of herbicides the the use of herbicides greatly reduced you know when you when you put that layer of mulch down and that uh all that little planting scenario that we mentioned a while ago that does a lot to keep um other unwanted plants from coming up right through there but then the, the other thing is is now that our cash crop has been placed in the soil under much more ideal conditions for natural growth, it's able to get a jump start on any of the other stuff. Our cover crop needs to be thick enough that it chokes out uh, any unwanted plants out there and everything. And it'll do a pretty good job of that. But now whenever we terminate that cover crop with the cows and then with this uh, roller thing mounted on the front of the tractor, why that pretty much terminates everything out there in the field. And so, let's say some weeds 
uh, germinate at that point and then try to come up with cash crop, they're going to be greatly impeded by that layer of mulch. Now, our planter is going to be specially designed to clear a path to not only just plant that seed, but give that plant also a clear path to come up through the mulch and everything. So the need for herbicide is, is greatly reduced in that aspect, maybe totally eliminated. And, um, you know, I believe herbicides probably pose more danger to us than, uh, than maybe even the insecticides do. It's, that's a toss-up. But uh, by including animals in this termination process, you know, we're actually producing edible product by allowing those animals to graze on it. So our total output off that's increased by several hundred pounds of beef, sheep, uh, whatever we want. So we're actually able to produce more food per acre per year than we would if we was just strictly monocropping, not to mention we're using way less energy. Yeah, I, I, I find that an interesting point. Kind of one thought that came to mind is sustainability is a big buzzword now, right? Everybody seems to be throwing up around how sustainable they are. I mean, to me, I, this kind of sounds like it's the, uh, the ultimate, uh, the, the pinnacle of being sustainable, right? It's, it, it, the whole thing is, is one, you know, call it you know, Lion King, right? The circle of life, right? It's kind of, kind of like that, right? You're, yes, you're feeding yes, your animals, you're feeding people, you're fattening animals to feed people. I mean, it's, it really is, uh, really is, you know, fully sustainable, Yes, it is. Yes, it is. And in the regenerative com community, you know, the word sustainable is kind of a dirty word because it means we're going to sustain, maintain what we have. We're in the regenerative world, you know, we're thinking, okay, you know, we're pretty bad off, so we need to make things better. So we don't want to sustain what we're doing. We want to improve on what we're doing. And so that's kind of the difference, you know, between the two concepts, although, I think the general community would probably be happy with just being able to say, well, we're not getting any worse, you know, and, uh, you know, when you look at certain trends in the, in agriculture and in nutrition and everything like that, you know, the declines, the, the decline over the last 20, 30 years is, is very remarkable and everything. And, um, you know, there's devices going to be coming onto the market within a year, I believe that will, uh, hook up to a smartphone, a device that will hook up to a smartphone and be able to test comparative nutritional values between a tomato you might have grown in your backyard or bought at a farmer's market versus one that you bought at your local grocery store. And uh, it's a device from a company called Teak Origin. And uh, I believe once that device hits the market, the, uh, the uh, conversation around nutritional value will go up by quite a bit. That I think that uh, uh, that would be fantastic because I, I again my my wife <laughs> she kind of gets on me about some of the stuff I eat sometimes so uh, <laughs> that might be dangerous in her hands I think maybe <laughs> you, you may be asparagus from now on now <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I might be <laughs> so <laughs> you mentioned uh, I think a little earlier. Uh, about how regenerative agriculture can have an impact on our weather. So talk a little yes. bit about that. Well, 
it, just the, the sheer amount of carbon that we can sequester on this. Uh, you know, when we start talking about the Great Pines, you know, and how the buffalo used to run and everything like that, it's pretty much been established that the soil at that, that time had a 15% organic matter in it, okay? So that's 58% solid carbon. <clears throat> and you figure that is an, an acre of ground, you know, when we measure down to six inches deep, that's roughly 2 million pounds. So 58% of 15% of 2 million pounds is huge. That is 319 tons of CO2 equivalent per acre that's possible. Nowadays, most farm ground is less than 2% organic matter and most rangeland runs between two and 3% organic matter. Uh, it's unbelievable just how much carbon we've depleted out of the soil just from management. But if we can restore half of 1% of organic matter into the soil every year, that is 5,800 pounds of carbon. And then you can multiply that by 3.7. And then that's how many pounds of CO2 that we're keeping from getting into the atmosphere. And according to the latest data uh, from some UN website, for whatever that's worth, they say that we emitted about 44 billion tons of CO2 into the atmosphere uh, just in 2019 alone. But uh, when you start calculating how many acres that we have available for agricultural purposes and then start figuring 5,800 pounds of carbon into the soil every year, we can negate just about all of that 43 billion tons per year that they attribute to fossil fuels just here in the United States. So if we, if we got every uh, farm, big or small, kind of doing the this uh, regenerative agriculture process, we could negate the worldwide uh, carbon emissions just yes. with our farmland in the United States? Just with our farmland in the United States, yes. That's that would staggering. be uh, That would be huge. I, I don't know what the leftists would complain about. <laughs> we took no, all the carbon out no. of here. You know what? Yeah, yeah, and, and and then for climate mitigation, yeah, I don't know where that'd be. It, it may be the reason why the Biden administration is not wanting to go this route. They're not showing a whole lot of support for regenerative agriculture. They'll give it lip service, but nobody's sure. actually putting resources in there for people like myself to go out and talk to farmers, show them how to do this, you know. And, uh, you know, the principles are, are pretty simple, but, you know, the application's different in every farm that you get to. So trying to figure out how to how to stick with do this uh, may be difficult in some places and require some creative thinking. They need some help. But, right. uh, uh, oh, I forget exactly where I was where I was going with that or anything. But. Uh, the, well, yeah, the, the carbon in the atmosphere, they're guessing, accounts for uh, 4% of the total global warming thing. Now, you know, they're, they're pushing on carbon maybe because that's controllable. You know, I'm not so sure. But just about the remainder of that is, is water in the atmosphere. 
So well, why is all that water in the atmosphere now where it might not have been, you know, 150 years ago? It's pretty easy because the more carbon that you sink into the ground, if I sink in two years, if I sink 1% organic matter into the ground, that same acre of ground is able to hold 28,000 gallons more water. And that's water that would either wind up in a flood problem. You know, if we have a big rain, I can only infiltrate a half inch of uh, rainwater per hour. Or I can uh, increase my soil organic matter and restructure the soil and everything to where I can soak up six, six inches of rainfall per hour, you know. And the longer that water stays in the soil is less time it spends in the atmosphere retaining heat. And that's roughly about anywhere from 60 to 80 percent of our uh, warming problem, if that's even the case. Okay, so it's it's the water in the the water in the atmosphere, just from the evaporation, the runoff, things like that, that is actually retaining retaining the heat more so than the carbon emissions. Yes, yes. And so let's take California, for example. You know, they're talking about, you know, they ha they're running out of water and everything like that. All right. So the, the weather more or less comes in from the west and moves east. So in California, it's coming over the, off the Pacific Ocean and it's going over, uh, you know, the Imperial Valley in California and everything. And that's heavily tilled. It's got everything going for it. Earth is basically bouncing all that solar radiation right back up and repelling rainfall from even getting to there. And then when it does rain, while they're only able to infiltrate a half inch for the first hour and less than that, the second hour. And, you know, the rest of it runs off into the, the Orville Dam or, you know, wherever else it goes to. And uh, it's kind of a vicious cycle, uh, you know, thinks that uh, the biggest part of the world's deserts is caused by uh, mismanaged farming and everything. And when you look at all these cascading consequences of our actions and everything, uh, you know, he may be right because using regenerative methods in uh, South Africa, he's been able to push his Sahara Desert back about 50 miles in places using sheep. Yeah, I was just, I was just going to mention that as, as uh, we kind of prepped for this you, you told me a couple of stories one being that sahara desert one and then i think there was one was it new mexico um trying to think there was another one in new mexico where uh we yeah, kind of saw yeah. this uh impact to the weather as well yeah uh, it's actually in uh old mexico and it's right in the smack dab middle of the chihuahuan desert ah yep and i can't I can't remember the name of that ranch, but it covers like 30 or 40 square miles. And, um, but, uh, oh, our friends at, uh, where I'm taking all these classes from and everything, you know, they were advisors on this project and everything. And the pictures that they bring back from that, from the middle of the hottest part of the summer, their, their grass looks better than what we have here in Oklahoma on a, on a good, good spring day, you know, <laughs> and, you know, this is the Chihuahuan desert. So, you know, I, I think the lesson learned here is this technology can work anywhere and the improvements is very visible, you know, 
and uh, yeah, just by changing the uh, interface between the Earth and the upper atmosphere, which happens, you know, at the bottom of your shoe, uh, does increase rainfall, and then it also increases, you know, how much rainfall that that ground will hold. And uh, you know, their production is oh, it's probably gone up four or five times over, four or five hundred percent. Interesting. So, kind of the last last question I have here is around the scalability of of regenerative agriculture. So, can you talk a little bit about scaling this this uh, process up? Can we can I use it in my yard, or is it just for you know those call it uh, factory farms or those those large uh, ranches? Now, that, that's the beauty of this whole concept. Uh, we can scale it down to a flower pot. And let's say if you have a rabbit or a chicken or something, you know, there, there's where the animal uh, cover crop termination comes from. Or we can put it out, you know, on, on a large ranch, you know. Uh, it's equally scalable. The nice thing about this technology is, is usually it's a small farmer who is able to manage it. He's able to observe everything. And what I'll have, he will probably be the one that's the most productive. And, you know, I see this, this, uh, I'm going to go ahead and call it a revolution happening in a small farm space, you know, somebody that's operating maybe in a backyard or maybe somebody that's operating 10, 15 acres or less, you know, there's where we're going to see the, the biggest results happen first, just because these people understand what's going on and they're able to see everything rather quickly and react to it without a whole lot of extra trouble and expense. Yeah, that that's outstanding. I mean, it's, uh, you got to start small, right? And if you like, uh, I've got a little garden, some flower pots. I know a lot of my listeners do as well. I think, you know, just even starting there, any, any little bit helps. Oh yeah. Any little bit helps, you know, and it can be any kind of, of livestock that you want, you know, Bees are like, you know, should be considered as livestock, uh, you know, rabbits, chickens, you know, all of it. Now, you know, the bigger operation will want to incorporate all of this, you know, cattle and sheep running in the same pasture together. Uh, you know, may want to follow that up with, uh, you know, some chickens, you know, some free range chickens, you know, either producing eggs or meat or something like that. Um, just, just anything that the, the name of the game here is to exercise the environment as much as possible without overtaxing it and everything and there's kind of some little rules there that's kind of outside the scope of this conversation but uh, once we exercise all this and get the plants to produce as much photosynthesis as possible to pump as much sugars into the ground to encourage more microbes to grow into the soil, that's the key to the game right through there. And uh, we're not going to be able to do it without animals, and uh, we're not going to be able to do it uh, with bare soil at all. Yeah, so I, I, shouldn't, uh, I shouldn't be too mad at the raccoons that uh, roll through my yard then. No, no, no. They're just they're just part of the part of the ecosystem. <laughs> I'll hold off on calling the, the trapper then. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah. Now, 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 when I start raiding your corn and your watermelons, why well, I don't know what to tell you then. I, I ain't gonna watch. You just do what you have to do. <laughs> well, I, you know what? This has been uh, extremely informative. Like I said, I when I when you reached out to me, I started digging into it, and I, you know, I thought this was fa- a fantastic thing, right? Because we're always hearing about. We need to spend more money. We need to put more regulations in place because our carbon's out of control. But the, the solution really lies within us and, you know, really within trying to move this throughout the agriculture community where we have the solution. And it's, it, you know, it costs, I don't want to say next to nothing, but uh, it, it doesn't cost billions and upon billions that our government seems to want to spend. It's we can do it through the normal course of, of uh, farming and, and, you know, feeding the, the people of the world. Exactly. You know, there's a little bit of initial investment in there because the farmers will have to be educated. Uh, you know, they may have to modify some equipment or maybe have to get some different equipment. But at the same time, uh, we could solve this problem for a profit, you know, because we're not only going to be growing more food, and be able to grow that food more reliably, uh, that same an increased amount of food will be better for us uh, nutritionally and everything. And, you know, when you get down to the reason you, we eat is for nourishment, and then look up the definition of nourishment. Um, you know, a, a store-bought apple that has, uh, you know, just 60% of its uh, label requirements in it, it's not very good nourishment, you know. So, it be producing more, a more variety of food uh, closer to people's location rather than having to ship it clear across mm-hmm. country. And look at how much energy that takes, you know? Right. Right. I mean, that that's carbon, right? We're, we're shipping it on trucks and trains and even uh, airplanes. When you talk about flying stuff, uh, exotic fruits in, right? So yes, you get yeah. everything drawn closer to, to where it's uh, consumed you get better you're better off exactly exactly now you know at first this is going to probably cost the consumer more just because of the initial investment has to be covered somehow and you know no farmers actually Mm -hmm. got you know a a 10-year supply of money to to work off with or you know a five-year supply of money to to work with but in the long run uh, this should make food much more plentiful, uh, relatively cheaper. And, you know, when you're paying for that food, you know, all the costs are paid for up front. You know, the environmental cost, the social cost, uh, you know, like, for example, you know, I'm sitting here in front of a Walmart right now. And, you know, and they say, well, you know, we're paying these guys X amount of dollars, but those same people, or, you know, available for food stamps or available for, you know, some kind of welfare or something like that. So, you know, buying something cheap at Walmart, yeah, I got it for, you know, $10. But, uh, you know, the, the rest of that money's coming out of my taxes. So, you know, what did it really cost me? You know, we have no way of knowing. Right, right. No, that's uh, that's, that's a good point. I mean, we're, we can make um, richer, more healthier food and you know, not only does our environment get better, but, you know, our health gets better. Yes, yes. And I think, you know, when we make these improvements into the environment, um, you know, I don't know. I, I have this 
have this imagination that says, you know, if the if the earth that you're living on or that piece of ground that you're living on is healthier, maybe it's happier and it causes you to be happier too. But that may just be wishful thinking on my part. But uh, I like entertaining the idea, you know. So yeah, yeah, it's good. Mm-hmm. Well, BJ, mm-hmm. I like I said, this is I, I was fascinated by it when when you kind of reached out to me. I mean, uh, I found it. Yeah, interesting that we we had a, a conversation or two before with kind of planning this out and learning more. I think this is, you know, valuable information. It's interesting information. I I learned a lot. I I thank you for for uh, joining my show today and um and presenting this. I don't think a lot of people know about about this. So, can okay, we'll start getting the word out this way too? So, thank you for taking yes, the time yes. today. I truly appreciate it. Well, I, I've enjoyed being able to talk with you about it. Uh, I think that's the biggest challenge on my end is one is producing this stuff. And number two is making more people aware of it. So we can get more farmers to join in on this thing and more consumers can enjoy the benefit of it. So information is very key to this whole process. And you're, you're really helping out a lot by having me on this thing. Absolutely. My pleasure. Thanks BJ. And uh, I, have a good uh, have a good day. All right, Ryan, you have a good day too and same with all your listeners. I want to thank BJ again for dropping by the show today to do the interview. Regenerative agriculture is a great option to reverse the environmental degradation caused by traditional farming methods and human activity in general. It's one that requires no governmental spending or intervention. Now, before I sign off today, I want to let you know of a feature within my store, Living with Liberty Outfitters. Every item within the store is fully customizable. You can add two existing designs. Say you wanted to put your name or the name of someone on on one of the items in there, you could fully do that. You can modify existing designs and even create your own. If you have that particular photograph that you're proud of and you want to put it on a t-shirt or mug, We can handle that for you at Living with Liberty Outfitters. The possibilities are endless. Go and try it out today. Friends, that's my show for today. Thank you for listening. Please check out my website, livingwithlibertypodcast.com. You'll find links to my past shows, my original articles, as well as other resources to help arm you with the knowledge in fighting off the prevailing narratives of the day. While on my website, shop my store, Living with Liberty Outfitters, and don't forget to check out the limited edition Memorial Day collection. I'll keep that up for about 10 days yet. All proceeds from the sale of the Memorial Day collection will be donated to the A Soldier's Child Foundation. Also, I'd be so grateful if you subscribed to the show and left a positive review should your listening platform allow. It helps us move up the charts and helps more people find the truth. I appreciate you spending part of your day with me. Please help us spread the truth by sharing my show and website with friends and family, as well as on your social media accounts. My website is livingwithlibertypodcast.com. Also, let's connect. Follow me on Parlor and Gab. My handle on both is at 
Living with Liberty. You can also go to the contact page of my website and email me or follow the links there to my social media pages. Liberty isn't a given. We must fight to protect it. Working together, we will do exactly that. Until next time.